The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com that's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C dot com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Yesterday, we posted the first half of a sermon entitled Talents. The sermon was preached by Brother McNeil Honey, who is exercising a gift to preach under the authority of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church near Ecola, Alabama. This sermon is an excellent exposition of Matthew chapter 25, which speaks of the man who gave different numbers of talents to his servants. Some of the servants invested them and increased their talents, and one just hid his talent and squandered it. Brother McNeil takes us through the parable that's taught there and explains to us how that each of us has talents that we should not squander, but rather should use for the glory of God in his kingdom. Join us today for the conclusion of this sermon entitled Talents. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Sweet to rejoice in my
chapter 11 tells us that Abel offered his sacrifice in faith. Well, by inference, why was the Lord not pleased with Cain's sacrifice? Because I don't believe he offered it in faith. The Lord looked upon Cain's sacrifice, and he did not respect it as he did Abel's. What does Cain do? Well, he rises up against Abel in the field, and he takes Abel's life. You know, that's the, there are many Cains in this world today that will look at the sacrifices necessary of children of God in the kingdom of God and not to understand. There are many that will look at the time that you may spend investing in the kingdom of God in church, even this morning, and not truly understand what it is about. There are times when you may invest in your family and your children in a spiritual legacy that will last far beyond the time when you die, and the world will not truly understand. Again, that is why we are called to sacrifice in faith. That is why Paul calls us to sacrifice our lives and, and our bodies as a living sacrifice before God. Let's continue to read in verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Paul, t uh, Jesus tells his disciples, and I won't reference a specific account because there's multiple occasions in which Jesus says this basic thing. He says, if you had faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you can say unto a mountain, be removed, and it would be cast into the sea. And we've all been get born again children of God are gifted with faith. It is a gift of God. We're told that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Faith is the fruit of the Spirit. The Lord has written it upon his children's hearts, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And we are to use that faith to make sacrifices in the kingdom of God. For as we have many members in one body, verse 4, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members of another. Listen carefully. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that are given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. If you're a born-again child of God, I cannot necessarily say exactly what your talent might be, but I know that the Lord has imparted to you a measure of faith. That mustard seed of faith that the Lord's talking about, each born-again child of God has it. The question is, is whether it will be grown into something of immeasurable spiritual power. Will it be something that takes the mustard tree grown from this tiny, will it be a mustard tree that is grown from incredibly small seed in the heart of a child of God, a seed that was placed there not by any will other than God's? Will it be a faith which can make incredibly powerful sacrifices without truly understanding what they may mean in the eyes of the world? Will it be a faith that takes mountains and casts them into the sea? Will it be a faith like the faith that we see throughout the book of Hebrews? The same faith that inspired Abel to make a sacrifice that the world hated. See, that's a, that's a matter of grave responsibility. I'm going to ask you this morning, how do, how do you choose to use the talent that the Lord has gifted you with? You know, sometimes it's very, very 
easy and evident to see what someone's talent may be. Sometimes I'm not, it's easier for me to see talents in others than to decide if I even have one to begin with. I can interact with some of you. I can shake your hand once. I can see your smile and the way that you interact with those around you and instantly see that the Lord has blessed you with a spiritual gift. Maybe it's that of friendliness. Maybe it's that of encouragement. Maybe it's that of wisdom, of prophecy, exhortation, ruling, mercy, love, diligence, fervence in spirit or service. All of these other gifts that the Lord has imparted to his church, to the members of his church. But how will we deploy those talents in the kingdom of God? Back to Matthew chapter 25. We have the king, Jesus Christ. He's gone into a far country that's far into us. One day it will be our home. Our spirits yearn for it and seek it and cry out for it, but it's yet a stranger to our sin-ridden bodies. Christ, he has gone there and he has left spiritual resources in the hands of his children. And they're different things, again. The gifts are different things. They're differing according to the grace that is given to us. Some of you have measures of grace in your lives in certain areas that I do not have. Some of you, I know from experience, are incredibly patient people. Brother Mackey was an incredibly patient person when at nine years old, outside of the old church building, he taught me how to properly roll up a water hose. Very, very patient man. Yet I'm not gifted. Oftentimes I feel as if I'm gifted with absolutely no patience. Some of you are gifted with an incredible amount of mercy that allows you to look upon someone that has offended you in a very deep sense and love them anyway. Some of you have been gifted with a type of encouragement that uplifts everyone around you and encourages everyone with whom you interact. Oftentimes, I don't feel as if I have that measure of grace. But the truth remains. Every talent becomes an instrumental role in the kingdom of God. They all fit in this complex body that is the church. If there's anything that I feel called to do on a daily basis and feel called to tell people with whom I interact is that you have a gift that the Lord has blessed you with. I don't know what it may be. I don't know what role it may serve. But if I need to spend days with you on end to help you determine what that may be, I will be willing to do that if I can. Because it's important to realize the talent that the king traveling into a far country has gifted to his children. Those talents are to be used in a very real sense in the kingdom of God. The Lord blesses the servants which use the talents that he has gifted them properly. He calls them profitable servants. Again, the return from those talents, the ways that those talents bless those that use them properly may not make sense to the world. You know, I would like to believe, I would like to say that each of you in following Christ will someday, as these servants did, become multimillionaires. I'm not here to tell you that, and to tell you that would be a lie. 
Because the Lord doesn't bless his children always with the kind of material prosperity or blessings that the, the world is constantly seeking. He's not always blessing them with financial returns and wealth and power and influence and reputation. Rather, he's blessing them in ways that he understands will fulfill their born-again soul. That seeking for this land that the, the foreign king traveled off into. You know, and again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 19, beginning there, we read of some of those things and the counterintuitive nature of what the blessings of God may be. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So what do we understand about the blessings of the kingdom of God? Well, sometimes they're not going to be what the wise and what the prudent might expect. Where is the wise? Paul asking this question, where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So the wise and the disputers, the scribes, the intellectuals of this world, they look at the parables and they carefully examine them to think about what they might mean. And I'll tell you, I was at a conference recently in which one of the parables were actually discussed. And uh, this very, very intelligent man who's very, very highly educated, who has an incredible reputation in the academic community, looked at the parables, specifically the parable of the talents, and he said, well, the only thing the parable of the talents is to teach us is about the nature of, of trade and markets in the time of Jesus. And maybe that's, maybe that's something that it reveals. I assure you that it is. These people understood what Jesus was referring to. Again, this would have been very common practice for wealthy men uh, to leave their resources in the hands of their faithful servants and trust in those servants um, to increase their wealth. Would have been very common practice. But the deepest, most important spiritual truths of a narrative as simple as the parables is often lost to the wise and the wealthy and the important of this world. Because in verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Do you want to know how to rejoice in the spiritual riches of God's kingdom during your life here upon this earth? It's not through the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world may be a way that we learn things about God, but it's not the primary way by which we come to know God. What is the primary way by which we are to know God and fellowship with God? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 14 that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by him. So if we are to try to decide how it is that we're to fellowship with God, how it is that we're to enjoy the spiritual riches of his kingdom, well, ultimately, it's because of Jesus Christ. It's because Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross and his perfect blood atone for the sins of his people in a very effectual sense. And the way that we experience that redemption in this life is when the Lord sends his spirit of his own will, of his own volition, into the hearts of his children and borns them again. The wisdom of the world is not the way by which we come to understand 
or know God. It's by the small things of this world, things that the world looks upon and scorns, such as the preaching of men, I'll exclude myself from the equation at this time, the preaching of men that stand and fill this pulpit, the preaching of men that travel across the globe sharing the gospel with those who have been equipped with faith to believe it and saved effectually by the power of God. That simple method is how we learn of Christ here in this time. And no, ultimately, it is not the way by which we're saved for eternity, but I will assure you today, it will provide you a way by which to enter into the kingdom of God, to press into the kingdom of God in a very real sense here in time and experience the blessings of his kingdom. The world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God will deliver his children in this time uh, with the preaching of his word and with his gospel. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. The Jews of Christ's time required a sign. They said, Lord, give unto us a sign. Jesus said the, and to them throughout the Gospels, at least one different occasion, he says to them, the only sign you're going to receive is the sign of the prophet Jonas. And in Jesus' understanding of Jonah and his time in the well, that is when Jesus would go into the grave for three days and three nights and raise again. And yet, when that miraculous sign was given... When Jesus goes into the grave, declared dead by those around him, and he rises again, and he's seen by hundreds of people throughout the countryside, yet the Jews still not, could not believe. The sign that they wanted was that of political power. Jesus taking a rod of iron and driving, driving the Romans out of the land of Israel and reinstating himself as king. But that didn't happen, and so the Jews didn't believe. Paul goes to the Greeks in Acts chapter 17 and he preaches to them of their altar that they had erected to the unknown God. And he preaches to them of the origin of humankind. He preaches to them of the way of which they are delivered to God. He preaches to them of the kingdom of God and yet still they don't believe. Because in Paul's wisdom, in his spiritual wisdom, there wasn't the wisdom of the Greeks. There wasn't this clever, conniving type of knowledge. There wasn't this intellectual discussion that they were seeking for in their culture, and so they chose not to believe. Again, the kingdom of God and the precious nature of the kingdom of God is understood in faith. You may inquire into the kingdom of God trying to use the wisdom of this world, and you may understand something about its value. You may understand that it's lasted throughout history. You may understand that Christianity spread like wildfire in the time of Jesus and after. You maybe understand that. But the rich spiritual wealth of the kingdom of God is revealed when we interpret the kingdom of God through the lens of faith. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. There's a power of this world, there's a wisdom of this world, but there is a power of God, and there is also a wisdom of God. And how is that to be interpreted? It's to be interpreted by faith, which again, comes from God. It's a gift from God. 
for you see your calling. Verse 26, Brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. If there are two verses which I read without exception every day, and I assure you most days I'm pouring through these two verses right here, it would be these two. Because it teaches us that no matter how the world may react to the kingdom of God, no matter how many times Cain, the Cains of this world pick up stones and try to take the lives and the happiness and the joy of children of God, rejoicing in God's kingdom, the kingdom of God does not consist of the mighty things of this world. It doesn't consist in the reputation or the wealth or the resources that the world has to offer. Because God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. It was a pattern established when Jesus Christ came and he walked upon this earth. Consider this, Jesus Christ could have manifested himself in any way that he chose. Why could he have not been born into one of the most powerful and affluent kingdoms or families upon the face of the earth? Why couldn't he have been born into one of the, the Roman households of the Roman Empire and use that position to leverage his kingdom, to go throughout the world proclaiming that, yes, I'm the son of a ruler, I'm the son of this mighty family, but yet I'm come to preach the kingdom of God. No, he did not. He chose to walk through the world as a considered as weak by all of those around him, considered of no reputation, with no place to lay his head, and proclaim a message that will last beyond the end of time. And that message is that Jesus came, he died for his children, and yes, he will have them, and he will allow them to experience all the blessings of who he is as Lord. But that was not proclaimed by a man that was mighty of reputation. It was not proclaimed by a man that was mighty of power. It was not proclaimed by a man who was considered of power and influence by the world. It was proclaimed by a carpenter of no reputation. And as we begin to draw our thoughts to a close this morning, we've, we've been to quite a few verses and passages of Scripture this morning, primarily because this is one of the major messages of the New Testament, that the kingdom of God is often held of low reputation in the world. And by association, when we take our time passing away as quickly as it does, and we invest it into the kingdom of God, it often doesn't make sense to everyone around us. And further still, those around us may often grow angry. As I've seen wonderful parents pour time into their children and their families as something that the Lord declares of immeasurable value, I've often seen those around them resent the love and the just cohesive nature of their family as a whole. And often I want to say, well, they are reaping the blessings of a talent well invested. They have taken the resource of their time and their energy, and they have poured into something that Scripture declares as immeasurably valuable, and they are reaping the blessings of that directly 
from above. I've seen a pastor who's perhaps labored in the same church for years upon years. He's poured his heart, his soul, his career, his life into the small church body. He hasn't received a lot of acclaim from the world, but yet he's at peace. He is one who is experiencing the blessings of a talent well invested. What are we to do with our talents this morning? What are we to do with the resources of the kingdom of God? Let's take that wealth. Let's take the unworthy blessing that is this this massive quantity of money, this massive figurative quantity of money from our king who's traveled into a far country, and let us use it. Let us take that, whether it's one talent, whether it's two, whether it's five, whether it's the gift of encouragement, whether it's the gift of ruling, whether it's the gift of mercy. Let us watch it grow from perhaps a mustard seed into a massive tree. Let us watch the Lord on our behalf take insurmountable spiritual mountains that we encounter in our lives and cast them into the sea. Those mountains may not be what we expect them to be. The blessings may not be wealth. They may not be reputation. They may not be what we would anticipate. But still yet, we're called in faith to cast our bread upon the waters that we might find it after many days. It's been a blessing to be with you here this morning. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.